0: all right everyone uh welcome back uh to our fifth uh transformational coaches community conference call tonight um just once again please a reminder uh to mute your phones um that way we have no background noise on our call tonight um tonight's call um features dr jeff duke um who is the author of Three-Dimensional Coaching, um, which is the book which inspires coaches to capture the heart behind the jersey. And that is that's such a, a great phrase there on the thing. Um, remember our vision statement. Um, our purpose is to equip, empower, and to encourage coaches. Um, and a couple of housekeeping uh, details here. Once again, always a great job interacting on the Facebook page and, and retweeting the tweets uh, uh, that we're putting out there. Um, and once again, we want to respect your time and uh, we want to try to be off here by 9-15. That way we can uh, get in and get out. So once again, just please remember to mute your phones. Um, Dr. Jeff Duke has coached uh, five different sports and directly has supervised 200-plus coaches in 17 different sports. Uh, His coaching experience includes a multi-year stint uh, with the legendary football coach Bobby Bowden. Uh, Dr. Duke is on staff um, as a lecturer at the University of Central Florida and is a national coaches training uh, director for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He is highly sought after uh, to lead workshops, seminars, and training on behalf of FCA um, on the cultural influence of the sport coach. And uh, we are extremely humbled um, and pleased to have him on tonight's call. So, Coach Duke, welcome.
1: Well, it's just good to be on with the with the fellow saints, and I don't say that lightly. The great influencers of our culture today is the person called Coach. What you do and say will be remembered forever. That's the definition of a saint affects
0: the future. So it's an honor. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Coach, for that. Um, so here we are, Coach, 3D coaching. Um, how, how did this idea come about um, in your journey uh, through your coaching career? Well, I'd love to
1: tell you it was because of my
0: wonderful intellect and all the positive decisions
1: I made in life, and I just, and I just did it that way. That's an absolute lie. It's, uh, everything I just said is the opposite. It was through a woundedness time of my life. I love being a coach. I started coaching right out of college and uh, love coaching. But I never could define my why. I could tell you what I did, how I did it, where I did it. And like a lot of us, got into the career. And uh, I left coaching to get into athletic administration, actually, with sport tourism. That's not a negative, but, it, you know, I got drawn by you can make some more money doing some other stuff. People said you'd be pretty good at this. And moved my family to a different town in Florida and, and was making some more money and was miserable and couldn't understand why I was miserable. And uh, what it was is I was missing coaching. Lost a job. Uh, contract fell through, lost a job, and at 40 years of age, um, asking myself, "Why am I not coaching?" Because I loved it. But it was the first time I really asked myself that. Got back coaching. Uh, this is after I left FSU, and I got back coaching at a high school in the town that we had moved to. Uh, reacquainted with a friend. He had gone through. He he was going through his own struggles. He couldn't he couldn't place this idea of winning. He just knew when he went one, he felt good, and when he lost, he felt terrible. And went through a, just a, a bad divorce because he couldn't handle that whole situation. So he had two old broken dudes that started coaching at a local high school. I was 40 and he was 50. And that was the first time that two guys sat there and said, "No, why do we coach? We were both Christians. So that's an interesting thing. So we were both saved by grace, but lordship was a... We knew the Bible spoke to a lot of things, um, but really didn't apply it to coaching. We just didn't know how, how specific mm-hmm. it was. So he and I just began just everything we did. We asked the question, Why? why? Why do we do this? Why do we, And boy, the filter changed. Everything changed. We begin to see kids play at a different level. We saw parents that have been estranged from sport, the over-involved parent and not involved. We just saw this unity and beauty come together. And I got so enamored with that at 40 years of age, I did the strangest thing. I went back to school at 40 and worked on my doctoral degree. And I'm not a, I'm not an academician. I just, I had a burning question. Why aren't more coaches coaching like this? We're seeing a high performance, but more important more importantly, a peace and contentment right where we are. So I went back and studied, and it was in that kind of looking at the role and the impact of the coach. Went back to Florida State, had a major professor, and for seven years while I was coaching high school ball, I went back and worked on that. And what came out of that, when we did all the research, bottom line is we found out that coaches that coach in three dimensions and have a strategy in each, here's what you get. You get a high-performing, whatever their skill set is, they will perform at their best. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean if you have a, a low skill set. It just means that skill set, they'll be at their best. But even as important or maybe more important, a real sense of peace and contentment right where you are. So many coaches we surveyed, very few we found out, were peaceful or contentful right where they were. It was always about something tomorrow is better than today. And, uh, boy, that was me. You know, I could quote the scripture when Paul said, uh, I have finally learned to be content no matter the circumstances, wherewith plenty or not. I could quote it. I couldn't live it. And uh, and I noticed most coaches were in that boat. So that's where it came from. So the study came from, from that, that coaches that coach in three dimensions, mind, body, spirit. And, uh, and, of course, we know Jesus gave the great teachings that. He quoted the Torah when he was trapped by the attorney and said, hey, You know, what's the greatest, what's the greatest of the teachings? He said, love your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And if you'll do that, you will literally be able to love others and love yourself. And, uh, so that's where it came from. So the root of it was two discontent coaches asking a question of why. And of course, I beat myself up quite a few years since then saying, why didn't I, why didn't I ask myself that question when I was 22 or 23? And I couldn't. And even growing up in the church, I uh, never really had that opportunity. I'm not blaming the church. it just for whatever reason, I didn't. So that's where it came from. So the root of that was uh, two guys just looking at it and going back and looking at the research.
0: That's great. I, I love that part where you talked about having a strategy in each dimension. Um, that, you know, that's something that, that I've learned this summer is that, you know, a lot of us are, are involved in things, but we're not very strategic in the right. areas um so if you don't care could you just go into that a little bit more of how in in your three dimensions how how could a coach be more strategic in sure. each one? sure and i and I'll
1: summarize it real quick, so we know that in sport we know in every human being there's the physicality of who we are there's the relationships of people that we deal with the term is psychology people think that's the you know it means the study of the mind it's really the study of relationships, and then there's this internal drive this this who you are this uh this this spirit this 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 quest of who you are and we know that we know every human being is made of that so in coaching uh, the first dimension we look at coaching you have to understand the physicality of the sport we identified the eight areas and they're very sport specific and we're very straight up if you can't coach these these areas you're just not going to be very good if you know if you're a if you're a person that works on transmission, you better be able to understand transmission parts. Uh, it's just that simple. So coaches have to do, they have to understand uh, the weight room. They have to understand the strategies, the, the, you know, dealing with power and strength and cardiovascular, you know, the tactics. It's huge. It's a, and it's where we spend the greater part of our time. Here's where it stops most coaches only coach that because it is hugely important. But at the end of the day, what's killing coaches we found out or what's really causing coaches issues are the relationships that are now involved in sport. The over involved mm-hmm. parent, non involved parent, the entitled kid, and this whole idea of sport. Sixty million, fifty, sixty million kids playing sport. You know, it's an identity within the lives of most people. By the age of seven Nine out of every ten kids in America are on a sport team now, which is absolutely incredible. Never before in the history of humankind have we seen that. You've got a coach, you've got uniforms, and many times you're traveling. So the coach, you'll never hear this. You'll never hear a baseball guy go, I'm tired of baseball. You'll never hear that <laughs> first dimension. But what you will hear, it says, I am tired of, and it's always the relation aspect. So that's second dimension. Many of us don't have a strategy. We just complain. And I was one of those. I just complained about what was going on in our culture and uh, as I like to share, that's just being a fan. You know, a fan will always see what is and tell you what you should have done. That's what fans do. Mm-hmm. And coaches, if we all we do is complain about what's going on, that's kind of the issue. So we began to look at the issues, the real issues that coaches are dealing with and began to look at the applied psychology of what's out there, what works with today. And it and it's very it's very current. The problem is in high academia so often they use big words and they try to impress people. And, you know, I'm a coach. I got I got I got 30 seconds to call a play. I've got to deal with this parent that just walked in. You know, I can't go back to my Psych 101 class and try to figure this out. And so what we did is we put it in a in a language just like we all can understand. Say these are applications. And then what the most interesting thing that came out of the research, we saw that anything dealing with relationship of people to people. It was already in Scripture. And that's where it just that's where the scripture just jumped off the page that said everything that the master coach Jesus did with his twelve guys, a coach will deal with his his people or her people. It's just the way it is. He had a whole mix of people. So there's not a there's nothing that we will deal with today that the coach didn't deal with with his people. And so we were able just to put the two together. So we tell folks, you can look at the research. Here's what the research says today about, you know, applied psychology with the issues of today. Real stuff that you can do, not just complain. Because research just reveals truth. That's all research does. It just reveals truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. They both have to be the same. That's the beauty of it. So we can speak into whatever culture we want to speak at. And then the third dimension is this idea of who you are. As much as I want to be able to step into the lives of others, I can't do it unless I really know who I am. And as I am more formed in Christ, as I become more formed in Christ, I have the desire, this internal desire, to then do things for the well-being of others. That is the, that's the drive. That third dimension is the drive of the coach. It's just the coach. We tell folks all the time, Coach, this isn't about adding stuff. to You've got enough to do. We all have enough to do. This is about your journey. Third dimension is really your journey because as you are, just at whatever you are, your being will affect the next generation just because of the influence of the coach. So we have just strategies in that, and those are basic you know, discipleship strategies of just how to look inside of yourself and ask the questions why and how come and take a look at Scripture and, and journey. And it's amazing how really the third dimension will drive the second dimension, which will affect the first dimension. I have people all the time tell me, especially uh, Christ followers, say, well, you got the pyramid upside down. It really should be about the heart driving the mind, and then obviously we have to work with the body. And I said, yeah, but that's not where the world is. The world is is in this first dimension. And it's amazing that the the master coach always dealt with the physicality first before he was able to go deeper. When people saw that he really cared about who they were and helped out whether that was bread or or, uh, fish or wine, whatever it was, he dealt with the immediate physicality which allowed him the opportunity people then wanted more and then he strategically could, could deal with the issues they were dealing with in, in their lives so it, it, it's, it's an inverted triangle when you think about it from a Christian perspective but from a coach's perspective it's not most coaches are you know first dimensions where we spend the most time have to it's also very measurable because everybody can measure weight and distance and height and how much and you can put it on the weights we can do all that things at a heart can't be measured they can only be expressed And so that's why it's, uh, it's, you know, gets a little, gets a little dicey. But it, all three have to be intertwined. And so that's just it. It's mind, body, spirit, and having a strategy in each. And when you do, it's very simple. It's very simple. Whatever, whoever your athlete is, they will perform at their highest. They'll give you all they have but there becomes a sense of communal contentment between athletes, coaches, and parents. And the key word of that, of course, is love. Love is the binding element that brings all this together. But how in the world do I learn to love the unlovable? And boy, when you start talking about parents today, let's be honest, that's so often what we're dealing with unless I truly understand the author of love. That gives me the opportunity to love the unlovable. And that begins to change everything, so you start putting some things together.
0: Man, that, that's uh, that's some great stuff, there, Coach. Uh, you know, you, you talked a lot about the relationship part of it, you know, and and the caring, you know, and, and the uh, the subtitle of your book, you know, and it says capturing the athlete's heart. Um, so, and I know in your book you go into some details and some important keys um, through that process. So, so what do you think are the most important keys um, for capturing the athlete's heart?
1: Well you know, I think it's a great question, and this is where so often we we get vague and as coaches we we, we dislike vagueness, we're specific people, mm-hmm. we like to have a strategy. I use the example, uh, I'm still coaching, I'm an offensive coordinator at a high school down here, we just had our first game Friday night, got our second game coming up, You know, we've got a good quarterback, if he gets ready to throw a hitch route, and he's got an open arm, or an open leg, and drops the elbow, I've got a correction for him during timeout, sideline, practice next week, I've got things to specifically do to make sure he drives that ball down. Well, what happens in relationship issues today, we have to be that specific. So all we've done is we've identified, you know, if you've got kids, how do you know kids that are not motivated? Well, they don't show up to practice on time. They're running late. So, you know, instead of the the old school was to to take a first-dimensional strategy to handle a 2nd dimension issue. What that means Mm -hmm. is there's something else going on. Because when an athlete is motivated intrinsically, they're never going to be late for practice. They're always going to be there. They're always going to give you great effort. So when you see that, that's a key that your issue is motivation. So now I I need to have a strategy of how to motivate intrinsically, not extrinsically. Extrinsically is what we get out of sport. Nothing wrong with scholarships and play. That's good. We ought to promote all that. But at the end of the day, that only drives a certain number of athletes for a little bit of time. So we have strategies of how do you motivate internally? How do people actually get to know the heart of the athlete that they're coaching? And that's when we, that's when we do things like into the practice, the spotlight drill. That's the, that's the ability of being able to take your team in the off season. How do you make? How do you get kids to be entitled? You put them in a place to serve others. So a coach that has a strategy in off season to take literally take their team doesn't have to be anything exquisite. But we're going to go for three days, four days, two days, and we're going to serve. Even the ones that come from low socioeconomic backgrounds, you'd be surprised when they go and serve others and you actually have a strategy. Watch what happens to the team. They come together. It's unbelievable. So Dr. Karen spent 28 years of his life studying how do you make a team a team. And he came up with four things, and two of them deal with physicality. All coaches do that. But the other two are relational. One is to have an internal plan for kids to get to know each other. And the second is for the team to do something where they serve one another. Now, this is empirical research. and <laughs> We know what Jesus said when, when he said, if you want to be great, you've got to learn to serve. That's what he told his hmm. team. That's what he told the mother of two of his players. And I love that. So you have to put yourself in that environment. But if you're a first-dimensional coach, that's like a waste of time. That's one less seven-on-seven to go to. That's one less basketball camp. That's one less pitching camp to go to. But when you do it, It begins to change everything. So now you got to be strategic. What does that mean? To take our team to go somewhere to serve, not just go have spaghetti, not go out to the movies. That's all fine, but literally go somewhere where we can serve. And it's not hard. And once you do it, this is the This is what gets so beautiful about all this. Once you do it, the kids clamor for it in the future. And we've learned this is our third year with with uh, where where I'm coaching. That's our third year of doing it, and they go to a. And the I forgot what it's called, but it's like a youth camp for underprivileged kids from downtown inner city Orlando. And half our kids qualify to go to the camp. That's crazy. But we go, and it's, it's unbelievable. And so our chaperones, because they spend two nights. You know who we take on our chaperones now? Our most over-involved parent. We literally ask the parents that we know are going to be the pain in the butt, always there, wanting to know how their kid's doing. We ask them, would you go as our chaperone? Now, we've done it three years. When those parents come back, they're totally changed. They never, ever again ask those questions, because what they see is the beauty of serving others, and that just lights something inside of them. So now what you're doing is you're drawing the parents in, and the players, they don't even know why, because that's an internal drive, that's an internal motivator, intrinsic motivation. When you serve others, you get better, both physically and mentally and spiritually. So you do that, and it works, and it's not hard but it's you 've got to be intentional, so if you 've got an over parent that 's a great strategy to do, and watch what happens to them so Second dimension are just having strategies when there are specific issues that 's all second dimension is it 's applied strategies into real issues that coaches have. The third dimension is just the coach his or herself knowing that what they 're doing is making an eternal difference into the lives of these kids you, you got it 's got to be part of the coach 's dna it 's got to be their. Their intrinsic motive is their spirit, and that's what we really call the third dimension. It's really the, it's really the heart of the coach that will change the heart of the kid because those strategies is basically Scripture lived out. And isn't that what James said? I love it. James says, we've got to quit being a, just you know, a talker of the word, but to be a doer of the word. Boy, that affects this generation when they, cause when they see something like that.
0: Simple stuff, but
1: you really got to take time to kind of look at it and apply it.
0: No, I, I love that. You know, if, if the coach wants to see change, then he needs to be some change, too. That's and, correct. Uh, that's, that's a great correct. point. Yeah. Um, you, you talked a lot about motivation there and, and intrinsic motivation. Um, I coach at the high school level, and, uh, you know, every once in a while, you'll, you'll, you'll have that, that one that young man that walks in, and he just looks like he's beaten by life. Um, yeah. He just struggles with self-confidence. Um, do you have any examples or any ways – we can help build confidence in these young athletes absolutely and confidence here's here's the definition
1: of confidence in the in the applied psychology research is defined as a belief in a skill set belief in a skill set so they think about that so skill obviously is first dimension there is skill to be worked on so you have a you have an athlete that used to could throw strikes, and now he can't hit the blind side of the you know, back side of a barn. Cause so, you, so what do you do? You put him in the pitching cage, right? And You work on his, you work mm-hmm. on his release and his stride and all that, which you've got to do. But the, the, the term is belief in a skill set. So you always work on skill. you always got to be a good first-dimensional coach. That's why we call it first dimension. But how do you work on belief? Belief is Something much deeper, and what happens with kids today—the brokenness that they come from—and they are so many are broken. Uh, whether that's uh, a family life that's broken, uh, where the where the kids are, you know, don't have the the guardrails, which so many kids do, or they're broken in a sense of maybe parents going through a divorce, or just the issues of life they carry them with them, and they show up. We know that they show up on the practice field, they show up on the court. And we can just see that sunkenness in their life. So how do you work on belief? It's interesting. The research says there's three things you have to do. One, and, and, and they're, no, they're no order, but as you're working on their skill set, one, you've got to take them back to past successes. You've got to take them back, whether that's film or whether that's You've got to take them back when they used to throw the ball well. They've got to remember it, whether you just bring it up on a regular basis or you show them film, whatever. Second thing, they need to watch others succeed. They need to watch success of others that do that skill well. And the third is verbal encouragement by all those around them. Now, just think what you said. Watch others succeed. Take them back to past successes in verbal encouragement. Now, as simple as that sounds, That is in contrast to the culture kids grow up in now. They grow up in a culture of what's wrong. Mm -hmm. The news is what's wrong. The magazine, they grow up in a dissing environment. You know, and and, and, and isn't it interesting that the culture we live in now, whether whether you're Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, capitalist or socialist, everybody's telling everybody else what's wrong. You know what's counterculture? telling people what's right. And so mm-hmm. when you actually use the skill set to introduce those three things, taking them back to past successes, because I used to do it. If, you had, if you've lost your confidence, that means you had at one time you had confidence. You can't lose something you don't have or had. So you take them back to past successes. You watch others succeed in verbal encouragement. And what that does is that reengages the belief as you work on the skill. Now, this is what's the coolest thing. This is is where the term legacy and influence is, is defined in the literature. It's called attribution. It says that as coaches teach this concept, what are they? Verbal encouragement, taking them back to past successes, letting the others succeed. The attribution is that kids automatically apply it to other areas of their life. It's crazy, global attribution. The kid actually believes he can do something better in the math class, even though you don't teach math. And he even believes, he or she believes they can do things well in the future. It's called stable attribution. Just because you coach them on those three facets, why you worked on the skill, when you become that kind of coach, what happens is they regain belief in that skill set, but it affects other parts of their life now, that's influence, and into the future, that's legacy. Those are nice words we throw around. You know, coaches have great influence and they create legacy. Okay, well, what does that mean? That's mm-hmm. how you do it, by those three things. And, and now how does that relate to Scripture? Because, man, the greatest scripture, when when Paul writes there in Philippians, what does he say? He says, well, you know, in Corinthians, he says, uh, you know, excuse me, in in Romans chapter 12, he says we have to renew our minds. We have to, if we're going to be transformed, which is the title of what you guys are doing, which is awesome. If you don't want to conform to this world, you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you renew your mind? Paul tells the Philippians to think on things that are excellent and praiseworthy and lovely and just and honorable. And if you think on these things, then that, your mind will then become that, and you will have a peace that God will grant you. Isn't that interesting? That as you hmm. fix your minds on those things, that re-engages the beauty of who Christ is in our life. And it re- so the confidence comes back. It's no different than coaching. But oh my, do we live in a culture that focuses on what's wrong, and I share with coaches, because I used to be that way. You know, we see what's wrong, and you have to correct what's wrong. You have to. You have to correct what's wrong, because if you don't, we can't coach. But then, we'll, you know, then a kid will do something well, and we'll give this vague thing like, boy, great job, way to go. See how general that is? If that quarterback doesn't step right and have a ball high, I'm going to say, now, you need to pull your hips around, you need to get your step right, you need to get the ball high. I am specific in my correction. You know how you big confidence? Be specific in the praise. When he does it, say, man, I loved how you got your hips around, you got your feet focused, and you got the ball high. They said that it's a seven-to-one learning curve on being specific of what is right than just what is wrong. So it's not about not correcting. We have to correct. But when we see things right, we just give them the, hey, way to go, nice throw. Man, you be specific in that, and watch how it lights the kids. Just light them up. Just lights them up. It regained their confidence because you have brought that which is good back into the picture. And Paul says if we do that, we'll have, the, we'll have true peace in our life as Christ. And the research says the same thing. So it's being specific. Boy, it's hard to do because in our culture today, man, you just don't have a lot of people that go around and look for things that are right. We don't. So it has to be counterculture, and that literally has to be come through the love of Christ back to that third dimension
0: again. Mm-hmm. Man, that's, that's that's some stuff right there, Coach. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with notes. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, well,
1: I didn't write it, and so I tell everybody, don't ever give me credit. I didn't do any of the research. So, don't, you know, I tell everybody, I, I wish you wouldn't call me Dr. Duke because I ain't very good at that stuff. I'm a coach. I need to take what's out there, and I need to apply it. All I did, all we did was just take these concepts from the Scripture and from the research and put them in an application. And that's what we do as coaches? We go to a clinic, and we go, that was good. I'm going to put that in my playbook. That's all we want. We said, take it. Make it yours. Give it your name. Make it yours. You know, it's funny. I teach at university. University, we call that plagiarism. You get kicked out of school for that. But in coaching, it's legal. You know, we can, uh, we can borrow from each other's stuff. So,
0: Absolutely. We all right, Coach. We, we, we've talked about, you know, the buy-in from the team and the kids. You know, And, and you mentioned you hit on some parents a little bit. Um, and also, I want to talk about community. So how important is the buy-in from the parents in the community to fully build and fully function that culture that you're trying to get on that team. Sure.
1: Well, let's share the tough news first. Research says it takes about three years to change a culture. So we, we work with a lot of ADs now, and we said you've got to give your coach three years. You know, and A lot of athletic directors and people of administration sometimes don't understand that. You've got, it takes three years. It, it's not a flip the switch uh that's what the research says takes about three years isn't it interesting that the son of god comes to the earth and he grabs 12 guys and he goes on journey and 11 of them got it and it took him three years before he released them and we're on this conversation because those 11 guys got it we're on this conversation today because 11 guys got it but it took the son of god three years so we tell you you got to keep your coach time it just doesn't happen If if it takes jesus three years don't expect your coach to do it any less and they always laugh, but there's some truth to that. So you have to do it. So what we found out is we have to coach two generations today. Nobody likes that not because, you know, you just do not have to deal with the parents or the community sometimes. But you have to because sport is now an identity. Is it a misidentity? Maybe. Is it a misplaced identity? Probably. But it's an identity. It's, it, we identify with sports. And where you have identity, you have passion. where you have passion, you've got emotion. So it brings all that to a light. So what we tell coaches is as you develop these strategies, in, especially in the second dimension, you must include your parents to witness what you're doing. When they witness it, they then change internally their perception of sport and who you are. will give you a prime example. So a lot of us do the spotlight drill, and, you know, we call our eagle drill, we're the eagle, so, you know, and, we put, and I, I, it's a simple strategy. So many coaches have been doing it for a good while. In the practice, you know, everything's mm-hmm. over, you're done, you bring the kids up, and practice is over. You've had a good practice or a bad practice or whatever, but, you, you know, you have the one kid and he stands up and everybody else has to speak into his life, call him by his first name and tell him what makes this team better because of who he is. Nothing related to his or her athletic ability, just who they are. And when you first start that, it's very awkward. But after you do it about two or three days, the kid, they, they clamor for it. And, and it's amazing. And that kid can't say anything. But you'll hear some of the most beautiful statements about because they're looking inside the heart. Now, two things are happening. One, the one up there is hearing things he's probably never heard before. Uh, we do this with coaches when we travel. And I was just doing a coaching clinic in, uh, in Columbia, South Carolina last week with their school district uh, pre-service. Inter- and we brought a coach up, and uh, we had people just do that. I said, let's see if it works. This coach had been coaching for about 25 years, and people stood up and said not about his coaching record and how many championships he won, but just who he is and why this school was better because of him. We weren't five minutes into this thing, and this, this, this old crusty football coach is just up there bawling, just bawling, just tears coming down. I said, I had to stop. And I said, man, I'm not trying to embarrass you. He goes, I'm not embarrassed. I said, coach, why are you crying? He says, I've never heard this before. Twenty-five years he's never heard his own peers at his school describe to him what makes this school better because of who he is. That's the culture we live in. So you do that into practice, kids, and they get great at it. We just do one a day. It takes about seven minutes. It doesn't take long. And the kid can't say anything. But watch what happens to him, the one or her, the one that's in the spotlight. Watch what just happens. If they're a backup kid, you better watch out. They're probably going to be your best scout team you've ever seen. They just, they just light up. If it's your stud, they're no longer thinking about themselves. But what's more important is the kids are now speaking into their lives. And so they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about something else, another person. So that's the opposite of entitlement. Entitlement's about me. So now they're talking about someone else. But here's the beauty of this. So we always have parents that are around. Obviously, you have parents who come to practice and all that. We call them up. At the end of practice, we just yell out, eagle, drill, eagle, drill. And the parents, they, they don't sprint, but they're close to sprinting. They come up, they stand in the back, they're not allowed to say a word. They know they can't say a word, but they hear this every day. They hear kids talking about someone else, and you ought to watch what takes place with those parents because what mom or dad doesn't want to hear, what are they going to say about my kid? And then they begin to talk about, hey, I like how you shared today about, because every kid has to speak every day, I love how you shared about Johnny and what you said today. You see what happens the, as they, that car ride home, that time, instead of the parent asking about how much playing time you get, did coach notice you, or did, they're talking about something entirely different. So it's not about trying to preach to parents anymore about, the last thing we need, and I'm getting on a soapbox here, but the last thing we need is more rules for parents. You know, you're not allowed to do this. you got to stand over. You got, no, what they need to see is a coach that has a strategy to capture hearts because it will draw them in. It's just like when we do the, when we do the trip, when we go and serve others, we take those over-involved parents. So you include them in an observation format. As, so you don't change anything you've got to do, but watch what happens over a period of time. And pretty soon you'll get those parents who just think you have hung the moon, man. Not because you've done anything different than your coaching style in the first dimension. You can still be I'm still a very loud, get after first dimension coach, but they begin to talk in a different language amongst themselves. Hey, do you hear what Coach did? Man, that's unbelievable what coach. Yeah, that's cool. And it becomes and I love this. We had a parent come up to us this year. And his kid was one that got recruited by another school because recruitment's big, as we know. Everybody's trying to get kids and woo them to this school and all that. And he came back to his home school. And the parent came up to us, this was after our last game, and said to, said to the head coach, and I was standing there, and he goes, I just want you to know, my wife and I are so excited. We have never been on a team where people genuinely love and care for one another. And my son yeah. loves it. And he ain't a starter. And that's, what, you know, he would, he's not even a starter. That's, and this was one of those parents, that everybody told you, better watch out. This is a parent that's going to shop mm-hmm. their kids around, you know. So you just have it, you know, you let them see. You let them witness it. And, but you got to have strategies to make sure that they're there to see it.
0: Man, that's good stuff. Because, you know, one thing I had wrote down a couple of years ago when, when we met and you Skyped in with Roger was you, you talked about taking the locks off the doors. Yeah. You know, no, no longer having closed off practices and inviting the parents in um and you're right it's neat to see them come and be involved because they do care about their kids and they want to see them but they don't get to see them the way that we see them every day in practice so that's a great that's
1: right and if we and if we're and if we're not hiding anything if there's if we're not trying to do if we're not hiding we want them to see it Mm -hmm. so i mean we got first down market i mean we got parents that are holding first down markers of practice every day just holding, just holding the sticks when we're doing, you know, we're, we're, you know we're, we're, we're scrimmaging or we're doing, you know, situational scrimmage. Hey, Coach, we need, would, you hang, would you put these chains up and set this, you know, you, we're, it's going to be third and five. Would you hold third down market five yards? They love it. So why not? Instead of just complaining about that over-involved dad, give him a, a daggum stick to hold up. And then let him watch us coach. Let him watch us mm-hmm. how tough we can coach kids, but at the same time have strategies to deal with the issues. Absolutely. And I wish I had known this, y'all. I hope I don't come across like I know it. I didn't get. I spent 18 years of my life coaching, and knew I wanted to coach like this, but I didn't have a. I didn't have a place to go. I didn't have a mm-hmm. discipled person in my life regarding coaching, and and that's that's the void that I've taken later in my life. And that's my call right now is to help that next generation because we know they're going to affect people forever.
0: That's great. Um... I know we've covered a lot tonight, Coach, and I, and I know there's people listening, and I'm sure they're just writing things down as fast as they can. Um, just to kind of wrap this up, um, we know you have your book out, but what are some other ways that coaches, if, if they've, what they've heard tonight and they want to dive in and they want to know more, um, how can they get more involved in three-dimensional coaching um, as professional development for themselves?
1: That's a great question. First of all, the book is the most it, – it's hilarious, I didn't want to write a book. I said, nobody's going to read. Who, who wants to read about an assistant high school coach? Seriously. All right, so I coached a little bit in college way back, but I was just an assistant. I, there's nothing that I could do. And it's funny, SCA, in greatness, and I give SCA credit, they said, you've got to write a book. And I said, okay, I'll write a book. Well, I wrote a book that has no picture on the front of me, if you notice that. There's no picture because nobody knows who I am. And that's been the beauty of the book, because anybody who reads that book, they, they don't know who I am, but they immediately put themselves and go, you know what, I can do that. That just makes sense. So it's been kind of cool. So FCA got the publisher, They you know they did it, and it's been their best-selling book in the history of their organization. Now, I say that facetiously because they get all the uh, royalties from it. So I've decided I'm going to write a second book, and I'm not going to give it to FCA. I just want you to know that. I just uh, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: I say that facetiously, but it's been good. The book, is, it's, it's just my story. But my story is so – it's just my story. Every coach has a story, and their story is greater than my story. So what we've done is we knew uh, that we had to disseminate information. So we, we formed an institute, and it's called 3 Dimensional Coaching, 3 dinstitutecom So it's the number three – the letter D, institute.com. And if you go to that site, so it's 3dinstitute.com. We have developed and, and just people so much smarter than me uh, we had to form a business. We didn't want to form a business. We had to form a business because we started hearing from school districts and athletic departments and universities, and they want to do in- in workshops and in-service and want online material. So if coaches go to that, it's all there, and we have built it through the funding of FCA who have funded this. And uh, you can get all the information as, as it comes available. You can go through a certification process where you actually write your transformational purpose statement. So a lot of Joe Ehrman, we're, you know, we love what Joe – this is – by the way, three-dimensional coaching is a framework. It's not a Bible study. It's not an app. It's a framework. So there's so many good things out there. So Joe's developed some great stuff, you know, and, 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 you know, and kind, of, kind of coined the phrase, the transformational purpose statement. And so we allow coaches to take this and actually develop their transformational purpose statement, the why I coach – And at the end of the deal, they get it, we send it to them, and athletic directors are eating this up because when a coach has that filter, and that's all I was looking for at 40, when you have that filter, things change. So we got that. So coaches can go online. They can do it on their own. We've got folks that can come and do workshops, if you actually want us to do a workshop at the school. We even got a place where you can get three hours of master level certification. A lot of teachers coaches need to get recertified. So we've gone through public universities, fully transcriptable. It'll, it'll count as three hours of master's level credit uh, that you can transcribe. In Florida, that's half your teacher renewal uh, for your cert- certificate. So all that's available online. And, you, and it's all done at a rate that's really all we're getting is enough funds just to kind of cover our own costs and be able to do that. So it's a great place to go. We even have the Christian uh, – we have a faith-based version on there. It's three-dimensional coaching. It has a little, little cross. We call it 3D+. Plus. So if a coach says, you know, I want to apply the scripture, I want to see how the scripture relates to this, it's all on there. You can take it, and then it's yours. Man, take it and run with it. So it's 3dinstitute.com.
0: That's awesome, Coach. Thank you. Um, coach, once again, thank you so much for your time tonight. Um, we we are truly um, blessed to have you on this call, and, and we are truly humbled to have you on this call also. Um, well, you know, uh, thank you. I, I, it's
1: nice that you say that. But I truly mean that the word minister, the word ministry means to engage in the needs of others. And it's not a religious term. We've made a religious term in America. The people that are engaging right now in the lives of others, the coach. That's why we say one coach will impact more people in one year than the average person does in a lifetime. The true ministers in our culture today are coaches whose hearts has been captured, and then can capture the hearts of their kids. You will make an eternal difference you are a true minister so as i said at the beginning i am speaking to the saints it's an honor for me to work alongside you guys because when you get it we know the next generation is going to get it so bless you all for doing what you do
0: all right thank you very much coach duke um thank so you. once again thanks to coach duke uh for taking some time to share his experience with us um we will post a link to this call um in case someone missed it uh by tomorrow morning um also we will post uh, coach's website if you want to dive in more into um, his uh, three-dimensional coaching program. We will have that also out there on there for you. Um, keep checking the Facebook group for questions, topics, resources, um, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Transformed3E. Uh, um, real quick, and also just an early plug for September's conference call, um, tentatively September 20th we will have a panel of assistant coaches, um, and they're going to be offering up their suggestions on their roles and how they help. Um, in the development process of young people. So that will be a a very interesting call to have some assistant coaches uh, from the high school and also from the college level on that panel. Um, And remember, guys, our purpose in all this is just to equip, to empower, and to encourage coaches. So I hope you were that tonight uh, with Coach Duke and the information given. Um, Have a great night, and go be transformational. Amen. Bless you. Well done, guys. Well done.